healthy business has always at least three to five, usually more ideas than it can realize. So a business is in a very bad shape if you don't have more ideas that you can actually realize. If not half of your experiments are failing, you're not doing experiments, you're just testing. I'm looking, I'm looking certainly for ideas that uh, very quickly go one or the other way. So what either are becoming big successes or very uh, fail very quickly. I'm perfectly fine that somebody uh, goes uh, goes very very quickly south, but I want to see quickly one or the other uh, out uh, yeah. result. Welkom bij Skill Talks, een podcastserie over de uitdagingen die Nederlandse start-up founders elke dag aangaan om hard te kunnen groeien. Mijn naam is Dani van den Berg, oprichter van Ebitwise. En deze show host ik samen met Sebastiaan van Essen, marketeer en oud-journalist van onder andere Sprout en FD. Hey Bas, today in English, right? Who is on the show? We could also do it in, uh, in German. So we have... Uh, My German is not great. Daniel Gebler, the, the CTO of Picnic. First of all, thanks guys uh, for having me. So I'm Daniel, CTO of Picnic, uh, and uh, found part of the founding team uh, from uh, very early on, uh, where we had in... Uh, 2014-15, uh, the idea to actually revolutionize the food industry with a kind of a new business model, a new operating model, which in the end required also to build up an entire tech stack that makes this possible. And over time, we just realized that while the business model is really revolutionizing what we know on the front of the site, the technology behind it makes basically the next generation of picnic, the next generation of food retail possible. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, in a in a nutshell the the success story of picnic and and the proposition. So originally you already you have been a researcher for the Vrije Universiteit Amsterdam, and before that you already worked in e-commerce for at that time a innovative company. Uh, what was the name again? Fred Hopper. Exactly. So the company itself uh, was Fred Hopper, and uh, two of the. Um uh, two of the founders of Picnic have been uh, actually founder of uh, Fred Upper, where we build recommendation engines for all kinds of businesses. Um, uh, so they're uh, food, fashion, um, uh, uh, furniture, um, electronics, and all kinds of businesses. And what we realized there are basically two things. Number one is that food, um, kind of non-food uh, retail, has been already pretty much e-commerce, which means that if you look to the entire sales that is happening in retail, then a large part is already online. While in non-food, uh, there was only a very small part online. This is number one. Number two is that actually, if you look to entire retail, then half of retail is actually food. So what we have now is that half of retail, which is non-food, has been already pretty much online. Yeah. The other half not. And then we started our journey to identify what could be the reasons that everybody feels comfortable to buy non-food items online while not really food items. Then we identified maybe we need to build a new business proposition, a new operational model, a new kind of technology platform that makes it possible for customers to buy online food in the same way as you could buy food, non-food items online. And that means uh, you don't want to wait. This is one thing. So that's the reason why we build a proposition that can deliver in a 20-minute window. You also don't want to pay online more than offline. So therefore, we build a proposition where you have lowest price and no delivery fees. And if you put this all together in a model, then you have essentially the picnic business proposition. And that is basically also the starting point of where picnic is now. Yeah. So that was, that was around six, seven years ago, right? 2015, you guys started. How was it back then in 2015? What well, the... Uh, 
in 2015 or around this time, uh, the world looked very, very different. So uh, there have been obviously all kind of companies that tried uh, food uh, beforehand, uh, some a bit more, some less successful, but altogether. Were they supermarkets uh, or, or really uh, firms that, that tried? So at this time, so as, as of now, uh, in uh, late 2022, uh, there is de facto every supermarket has an online proposition. At this time, roughly half of the supermarkets had an online um, proposition. Yeah? And there have been obviously a few online pure players, but no one was uh, really successful. Yeah. And uh, we were looking a bit into what could be actually driving uh, the differences. And what we saw is that if you want to be really successful in any uh, retail vertical, but especially also food, you need to be a pure player. It is just not compatible if you What kind of player, sorry? A pure player. A pure player so yeah. pure play means essentially that you're just doing online or just offline. And there are actually a lot of uh, retail businesses that are very successful purely offline. There are a few ones, and uh, uh, we hope that Picnic is part of them, uh, that are online very successful. But it is extremely hard to do online and offline uh, together. And you see this also in other verticals, uh, where yeah. the, you have a few online leaders, but the online leaders are not very strong in offline. And the same also the offline leaders are not strong in online. But hybrid or this kind of uh, hybrid uh, commerce is just not very, uh, very successful. Yeah. And if you go back in um, around 2010, everybody, uh, until 2015, everybody was raving about this kind of uh, multi-channel uh, uh, approach where you do online and offline and customers switch between online and offline and you should be in all kinds of channels. But you would just realize on the back office, the logistical model, the technology platforms are just not very efficient if you want to combine both. Yeah. Like if we look seven years ago, how were customers responding to, to solutions like this? So... Yeah. It was a very new proposition and uh, we, there was a lot of explanation that we had to do. Uh, and we looked a bit into a, a different type of narrative. So we came up with this proposition or better kind of Michiel uh, came up with the proposition that we should call this the milkman uh, because this is a, a kind of a very close to the uh, distribution model. Michiel but Müller. Michiel Müller, exactly. Yeah. But we also, we also had to actually look a bit into how do we explain customers a proposition uh, that say, this actually sounds too good to be true. So that means you don't pay more in a supermarket, you get it to your home, uh, you have a very nice and friendly guy who delivers it to you. And uh, what we learned here is, and this, this is just anecdotal evidence here, is we had also a small uh, marketing uh, agent uh, that helped us a bit, uh, or that worked for us, and reached out to people. Uh, and uh, she had actually a uh, Polish uh, sounding name. So she was reaching out over Facebook and a couple of other platforms to customers to uh, uh, test the proposition and to acquire people to uh, basically try it out. And then you have somebody who comes with a Polish name and uh, whatever kind of name, but uh, essentially a name that is uh, maybe not sounding like uh, comes from here. And then also is uh, coming with a proposition that sounds so good to be true that uh, the kind of credibility was in the beginning not there. So therefore we had to do quite a bit of work to really uh, build customer trust. So this is a proposition that yeah you can really rely on and that we will also be there not only in a few weeks time but also in a few years a few months time few years time and yeah. that is something what we built in the beginning with town hall meetings which okay. means that we just invited customers to draw by to have a look to the proposition to explain them how do we make this happen what did they say what what, what was the main uh, opinions that were shared so the first thing was uh, when we looked in this market, and at this time, uh, there was around uh, one and a half percent of uh, customers did do food shopping online, which means 98.5% uh, were not yet uh, doing uh, uh, shopping for uh, food online. We 
actually focused purely on the 98.5% uh, customers that have not done uh, food shopping online. And the reason why we did this is we didn't want to end up in a kind of an online competi competitive market. We saw what it means uh, if you really need, if in order for you to win, somebody else needs to lose, then you are in a kind of a very, uh, in, a, in, a, in a very different type of uh, dynamics. And if you can just convince customers to move from offline to online. So, however, the challenge is if customers have not done food shopping online, you need to explain to them how do you shop. So, therefore, we had a lot of customers that tried Picnic that never have never done e-commerce before, which means that very simple concepts, concepts that we all know very well these days, like what is a basket, how do you check out, is it safe to uh, type in your credit card number and these were on the website? Of all ages, or this is all ages. So yeah. at at this time, uh, it was obviously maybe a little bit older uh, ages, but uh, there were normal people, 40, 50, 60 years old, that just had a kind of a normal offline life and uh, were not used to do online shopping. That we explained that you can actually get the same stuff online as if you would go to a physical supermarket. And that opens up if you once convince a few of those customers and have a bit of kind of a, a proposition that is sticky with customers, then you convince many, many other people. So what we also learned is that if you have a lot of, uh, if you have a physical distribution on your own side, so our vehicles that have a, a branded uh, layout, then if a customer on your left side, uh, on, on in your left uh, house and a customer on the right house is uh, ordering with Picnic, then it takes max seven days that you will also start ordering with picnic. Yeah, yeah. So it's just about the critical mass that you need to get in the beginning. Yeah. Hey, with that, with that knowledge that you that you had of of all those people that didn't know about online shopping, I would assume that you use that those opinions in your in your product, right? Is that uh, is that how you developed the product? So it's not like you start making a product and then let's hope that someone will use it. But it sounds that you you turn it the other way. So you invited a bunch of people. And then started developing. Is that how it happened, or so to a large extent? Uh, what we did for the first maybe three, four years, uh, we co-developed together with customers uh, the entire proposition. Which means, on the one hand, uh, for the assortment, we had a very uh, limited assortment in the beginning. And uh, the only thing what we said is we want to have more. We want to list more items, but we don't know exactly what we should list. So you tell us yeah. if you like a product. If a few customers like a product to be listed then we'll just add this to the assortment. So this is number one. But the same we did also for the uh, consumer technology side, meaning said uh, whatever customers were missing as a feature in the app, they just told us in the app and then and we were basically uh, starting to build this. But to your point, if you have a lot of customers that are not used to do e-commerce, you design very different kind of e-commerce journeys. So that means there's a lot of explanation that you need to provide in the beginning uh, when entering the app. How does the app actually work? A typical e-commerce app at this time was using parallelities uh, in the sense of that is a bit like how Google Blue works, is a bit like how Vault.com works, is a bit like how Amazon uh, works, but we couldn't use that because we had our customer base was mainly a customer base that didn't do it, uh, didn't do much shopping uh, before and online. So therefore we really built up from scratch uh, customer journeys yeah. that were tailored to transition from offline to online. Yeah, sounds difficult. <laughs> no, not, not per se, uh, but it's, the essence is more, you're completely rethinking how an app should work. Yeah, yeah. And you get also to a very different type of layouts of the app. You get to a composition of pages, a composition of page designs that are tailored to, on the one hand, mimicking a little bit what customers know from offline, but on the other hand, are, is not at all biased towards what other people have done in online. Yeah.
So w which people uh, at the beginning uh, were forming the, the boardroom of, uh, of Picnic and how did it evolve in the, in the past seven years? So there is in Picnic, uh, so a boardroom we didn't have for a very long time. So uh, also this kind of term, uh, if you would uh, approach it's anybody not, in Picnic. It's not, startup, yes, it's not a startup term, but uh, yeah, the decision makers. Is yes. the, yeah. So, so essentially, uh, let me let me try to reformulate the question. So I, I think what what you're asking for, and this is a very good question, is actually what is the kind of the leadership team or the kind of the team behind or the brain behind uh, what we have built here? And what you see is obviously there are a few people that are early on, but there is a team of 20, 30, 40 people that essentially formed a vision on how Picnic should look like uh, going forward. And uh, these are people that are more on the uh, consumer proposition side, uh, these are people that are more on the technical side, uh, these are people that are more on the distribution side, so last mile, some uh, that are more on the fulfillment side. And that are is a, is a, is a broader group that altogether has formed a vision on how can we make it possible, a proposition that nobody has successfully uh, realized before. And that altogether is an, uh, over the years became a very integrated uh, team, but also an integrated vision, which means, for instance, that a lot of stuff that we do on the fulfillment and supply chain side, so for instance, uh, the way how we pick orders in a warehouse, how we receive uh, orders, how we deliver orders uh, to customers, is very closely linked to uh, the way how you shop actually in the app itself, which means that as a uh, driver, uh, as we call them runners, uh, yeah. towards the customers, you will see or you will have a very good understanding which kind of customer will you see at the door. Uh, what was, for instance, the last delivery? Uh, we have also built, for instance, apps that where you can see in real time, I, am I driving safe? If, oh, yeah. I, am I not and, uh, if you're not driving safe, you will go get all kind of feedback. How can you drive uh, safer the next time? Okay. Interesting evaluation uh, moment. <laughs> For instance, the key uh, key insight why, for instance, we had to build this entire technology in-house is, and there's a lot of kind of solutions that one couldn't uh, can take from the market is, is that all kind of route planning systems are making uh, what is called a uh, vehicle route planning problem with um, time windows and capacity constraints. However, say plan the shortest route. If you are really successful as a logistic uh, provider, you don't plan. It's very simple to plan a, a short route. What is hard is to understand which stop takes uh, maybe two minutes, which three and which five and why. So therefore we built a very, very detailed prediction uh, mechanism to understand how long a delivery stop takes. And that is exactly uh, driven, okay, do you need to go to the second or first floor? Do you deliver on the back door or forward, uh, front door and all those kind of factors? This is one. And then the other one is you need to actually make any plan happen. So what you realize is there's no way ever that you can 100% predict what will happen in the future. Mm -hmm. But what you can do, if you want to achieve 100% uh, correctness of a plan is that you can first predict a plan that is most likely to happen. And then you have all kinds of mechanisms, like for instance, uh, let's say guidance for the drivers, but also support for the customers that make the plan happen as it is uh, already initially set out. Yeah. And then you put also weather data and traffic data into the mix. Then there's weather data, there's there's many, many data. So there's daylight and night. Uh, there is certainly also traffic data. We know when special events are there. So there's a lot of data that we can and with, that we do use. You see also that some data has actually very little influence. So since we know is that there's a big difference if you go to the second or the third floor, uh, or the second or the first floor, 
But if you go to, from a second uh, second to the third floor, well, you go a little bit further, but actually it doesn't take much time. So that is this kind of insight you also get there. So you are the CTO. Um, we have a lot of founders listening. What is the CTO doing <laughs> seven years ago and now at Picnic? So compared to essentially every half year, you're completely reinventing yourself, which means that uh, the, the role changes, the kind of the team that you have around you is changing, but also the vision and the ambition of the company changes. So you start in a, in essence in the beginning as the kind of chief developer. At some point, you become the chief architect or the head, of, the kind of the lead architect. At some point, uh, you're leading some teams, so this is more kind of engineering management. And at some point, it is more about tech and product strategy. And uh, at this point, where we are now, uh, there is certainly a, a very large kind of product and tech strategic element uh, to it. There is a large part of operation excellence. So that means also focusing so that all teams can use the software in the best possible way. Yeah. So if you think about that, uh, there are 15,000 people that are working in warehouses and are drivers that are using the software, then uh, you already need to focus a little bit on how to use it internally in an efficient way. If you have in total around 5 million users of the app, then uh, you also need to see how to use uh, this efficiently, things like compliance, security, etc. So this is uh, becoming a, is a really important role now. But then there's also times, and that has happened in the past, is also now, it's just a kind of a chief bug fixer or the chief problem solver. You, where co you can code also, you have been coding. <laughs> I have been doing this, I can do this now, definitely definitely not the best one, but uh, <laughs> um, certainly I love, I love to do that. Um, I've built a significant part of our entire analytics and dashboard stack and uh, a few other things, yeah. Oh, nice. And is that also, you know, um, why, uh, um, Michiel also wanted to work with you again because it is a very data-driven company and you have a yeah, very data-driven uh, mind, I guess. In essence, uh, Picnic in, in general, everybody who joins Picnic needs to be very data-driven. Uh, what One thing what we uh, focused on from the early days is that, um, that while uh, we are looking for very strong, uh, especially uh, data-driven data -driven engineers, but also data-driven analysts, data-driven business operators. What we are looking for here is also that you have a very strong business and operational aptitude. And what we mean by this is we're not lo only looking that you are uh, a mathematician that can actually make uh, analytical and probabilistic reasoning, but you need to also put uh, your results and your insights in context. So that means by just making some calculations and not understanding what you have calculated, there is no value in it. So therefore, we are looking for people that can really derive actionable plans uh, from it. And that's certainly something that uh, I have done for some time, but uh, actually even more the entire picnic team and we are by now have a central team of uh, nearly 1,000 people. Yeah, I, I read that you do at least 20 online experiments each week. You are a very experimental company. And is that something, you know, when you grow and you mature, is something you can um, easily apply every, every time? Well, first of all, a healthy business has always at least three to five, usually more ideas than it can realize. So a business is in a very bad shape if you don't have more ideas that you can actually realize. And the reason for this, and this is a very simple metric, obviously, but the, the reason why we started with uh, experimentation is that we simply, at the beginning, didn't have enough data and enough insight in the market of uh, what will work and what will not work. So therefore, we tried it out. At a later stage, we had much better understanding of what may work, what doesn't work. However, the actual uh, marginal value add of a new idea 
is becoming smaller over time. There are certainly diminishing returns in every kind of a business. However, you need to still test those kind of ideas. And uh, with all kind of simulation, uh, you can, uh, especially the ideas that add a little bit less uh, value, you can no longer uh, completely simulate or completely uh, run through an analysis. So therefore, you just try it out with customers. Can you give examples of what you are trying out uh, in, in this week or the, the past weeks? For instance, uh, logistical concepts. Uh, so we tried, we started uh, already two, three years ago with return logistics, where we take, uh, for instance, clothes from uh, Zalando and other retailers back. So that means you order over Zalando, Zalando d- delivers to you. Usually you order five pairs of jeans, send four back. So you can, uh, those kind of four jeans that you don't uh, like, you can send back uh, with Picnic. But over time, we just uh, realize that is maybe just a starting point. So for instance, we take empty glass back. Uh, that is an experiment that we have done uh, just a couple of weeks back. And there's many more that comes at this uh, side. So this is kind of logistical back office uh, innovation. On the front office, if uh, you look uh, to the app, we are trying all kind of new experiments around uh, meals and our meal proposition. So until uh, recent, uh, under recent, you just uh, bought over picnic the ingredients of your meals. By now, you can already buy entire meals. Mm. But then the question is, how do you compose meals? How do you put a good proposition between meals and kind of non-meal uh, kind of uh, items that you want to buy? And we have a lot of experiments in the way how the app looks like that you can see as a as a consumer. And the vision is very simple: with a million customers, we want to have a million different stores. Right. Everybody gets a different one. And what didn't work? What kind of experiments were a complete failure? Um, uh, at least half of them uh, are not working. And it is a, it's a very simple metric. Uh, if not half of your experiments are failing, you're not doing experiments, you're just testing, to give an example. So if you go to the app, you have, um, uh, if you enter the shop, uh, you have uh, the previous purchases as a, as a landing page. So there you see all the items that you have uh, bought earlier. However, what is really important is in which order, in which categorization you show those kind of previous items. So we've experimented uh, with those kind of uh, uh, listings of previous items and categorization up to the point that some were extremely well um, uh, uh, converting and some uh, were actually so bad that customers actually uh, very explicitly gave us feedback, oh, yeah. give us the old bad uh, back. Uh, we don't like what you, uh, what you have now. Cool. <laughs> And um, now I can imagine that compared to online uh, experiments, it's it's a bit harder to also experiment with uh, Internet of Things when you work with sensors, uh, that kind of stuff. Is that also something you uh, yeah, supervise from your CTO role? So we do quite a bit of physical experiments, and that's certainly also part of tech. But this is this is a bit an overlap between, uh, for instance, our fulfillment teams, our uh, last mile teams. Um, we certainly guide the entire process of those experiments on how can we gather the data, how can we define the experiments, how can we evaluate the success of those experiments. And we have done, for instance, fulfillment centers, we have measured the temperature of those kind of boxes when we deliver something out. Uh, so if you order some ice cream in the summer, you want to make sure that the ice is cream is still uh, cold, cold <laughs> when, when it gets delivered. But the same way also, uh, for instance, um, for our cars, where we are doing it, where we do all kind of measurements on how fast is a car going. So that means we uh, measure not only the speed, but how fast are you accelerating? How fast are you braking? How fast, are, how quickly are you steering your, uh, uh, well, how, how quickly do you move the steering wheel, etc. Because these are, kind of very direct indicators on how safe are you driving. 
And we started in the beginning uh, just to basically collect this data. And after you have done a write, you get uh, a score uh, between 0 and 100. And if, everything, if you are 80 and higher, then everything was fine. Otherwise, you get uh, uh, clear advice on how to do this better. But over time, we actually move to a real-time notification uh, while you're writing that if you're not driving safe, that you get a notification. But uh, since you don't want that in an unsafe situation, uh, those kind of drivers are actually looking to the app, we are switching off the screen and we're giving it just an acoustic signal that you're not driving safe because you don't want to add to this kind of unsafe driving. No. Were there a lot of accidents that you guys are so much pointing out on, on safety or is it something that you just as a firm so maybe? so ju just to put a little bit in context uh we have now more than 2,000 cars on the road um uh, which means that uh, on a single day we are driving more than 100,000 kilometers so that's uh, there's obviously uh, a lot of kilometers driven plus uh we have also a lot of young drivers so our drivers are usually between 18 and 25. So if you think a bit about it, that is obviously an environment where you need to give a lot of guidance. So that means there's a very complex onboarding process where we help everybody to, to get acquainted with the car, et cetera. And certainly we had also, also accidents and incidents. So that, uh, that is a very natural process up to the point that cars uh, started to flip at some point. Nonetheless, uh, we got all this kind of stuff under control uh, by uh, building this kind of app, but also making very small kind of changes uh, on the vehicle that, uh, that allow the vehicle to drive much safer. And not forget the, the kind of car that you have built was kind of special project from Picnic. Uh, I mean, there were no cars like that exactly. before. So the, this is a car that we designed ourselves that uh, is, is, is on the road. And uh, um, uh, so this is something which is really tailored to our, our fulfillment process. And uh, customers really like it. So that means, uh, the biggest testament that we always get is that there's a lot of kids that are actually getting uh, uh, helping the drivers uh, when they're arriving and they're saying hello and uh, actually also uh, uh, are big fans of the of the cars. But on the other hand, it is also very efficient to unload. Uh, and these are kind of small things in the end uh, that make make it efficient. But uh, the way how you load the cars, how you unload the cars, uh, etc., makes a big difference for our distribution model. Yeah. Well, you obviously did a lot in, in, in the past seven years. I think both Picnic and yourself. What are the, the plans for, for the future where you guys want to head to? So we have actually, we went through a kind of a journey where we first started in Netherlands, then moved to Germany, then France, then we did all kind of automation. Um, and we are overall uh, still at the very early stages of Picnic. Yeah. And uh, that is uh, something that becomes every day again clear if you look a bit into what can we do, and we are just now in the process of building our 23 plans, there is a, such a long list of great, great ideas that um, you just realize that you have probably just captured uh, maybe 5 or 10% of the entire potential of the business itself. Uh, so the biggest project or one of the bigger projects that we are now working on is this entire automation of our supply chain. And we have started with the automation uh, in fulfillment, where the order picking process that has been uh, traditionally a very manual process. So you go to a product and you pick first bananas and then cucumbers and then bread and milk and uh, cheese uh, is becoming a very different type of operation. Now you have robots and variables and many automated uh, installations. They bring robot uh, products to you. So you don't need to get any, go any longer to the product, but the product comes to you. And that is 
is a very impressive kind of way of operation. Eh? So you can think of uh, there's a warehouse of 20, 30, 40,000 square meters, a lot of robots uh, yeah. go around and mm. bring products to you. And the only thing what you have to do as an order picker is bring together uh, the kind of the uh, 20, 30, 40 items uh, for a customer in a single tote. That requires quite, quite some uh, investment, uh, I guess. That is certainly not for t uh, for free to do. And we raised uh, quite a bit of money uh, over the last year. So our last round uh, was a six million, 600 million round uh, that we uh, raised uh, last year, including also funding from uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Foundation. But uh, also from a technological side, it actually... Uh, brought a lot of very exciting new innovations. So we are a cloud-native company. So everything what we have built so far has been in the cloud. And under 2018, we actually had only laptops in the office, nothing nothing else there, uh, and uh, Wi-Fi hotspots. At some point, we brought, uh, bought also uh, two printers because we had to hire a lawyer. But uh, more or less, uh, that, is, uh, that, is, that is all what we, what we had there. At the point when you start uh, robotic automation, eh? latencies to your robots uh, become so short the requirements so that you have latencies uh, below one millisecond, then you can't use any longer any of the standard uh, hyperscaler of kind of cloud providers. So that's the reason why we have started there to make actually a very unusual move. So we started in the cloud, but we moved on-prem, not everything, but just the technology that is in our warehouse is actually now uh, a large on-premise uh, server park. Yeah. So um, you have once in the past when you were uh, doing an MBA uh, in Dresden, mm -hmm. where you come from uh, originally, you uh, have also done uh, research about uh, credit risk models. Mm -hmm. um, now, uh, yeah, Picnic raised 600 million euros. Uh, is it for you? is to also step into the shoes of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation uh, and the people, the, the investors that they are representing uh, and to also rationalize, to, to clarify that it's very logical to actually invest 600 million. It's obviously a big, a big amount. So, and uh, we are very grateful that, um, that we found uh, backers for uh, the idea, but um, uh, maybe to go back, uh, indeed, I, I did an uh, MBA, but uh, the story behind it is a very simple one. So I did, uh, I studied computer science and uh, and, and logic. Um, and what we had to do there is, uh, as part of the studies, uh, we had to also uh, take one or two lectures uh, in a completely different uh, subject, uh, in a different field. And I did some, uh, some economics there. And I liked it quite a bit. And I thought, well, now you we have done uh, two lectures, uh, the remaining... Uh, 35 you can also do, and then you have a, then you have a degree, and then I just, uh, just did uh, this. To be free, frank, I focused more on economics because I liked uh, macroeconomics and microeconomics a little bit more than uh, just the classical MBA type of uh, topics. What, what it helps now is to really understand also the dynamics on how to finance uh, such an adventure, also when at the stage where we are now, where we are obviously a scale up, where we need significant amount of monies. But it helps also to go back a little bit to the smaller uh, sizes where I'm doing uh, quite a bit of angel investments and help uh, new entrepreneurs to uh, get their initial yeah. ideas off the ground. You're an investor in uh, WOPA, a uh, sort of uh, vintage furniture e-commerce uh, startup. 
Yeah, there's a, it's a very exciting. Uh, so I have done I have done 10, 10 15 uh, um, tickets um, in, in different kind of uh, startups. But Wopper is a very exciting uh, marketplace uh, for vintage furniture, a kind of a vertical that has been underrepresented so far in marketplaces and, and uh, e-commerce. And what you can see is that especially these days where on the one hand, everybody likes to have something nice at their home, but on the other hand, uh, everybody is a bit more uh, price conscious. It's working extremely well. And uh, you have then kind of a two-sided marketplace, which is on the other hand, a very interesting uh, setup also there, where you have sellers that at some point bought usually something new and wanna sell it, but the buyers simply can't afford this kind of new ones, but are usually not the sellers again. But uh, how to make, the big question is how, to can, how can you make a working marketplace out of it when you have this kind of asymmetry in, uh, in, the, in the marketplace. So that's a very interesting thing, and uh, the business is doing certainly well. Yeah, and you um, also provide them again with, I guess, a bit the 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 true expertise that you have uh, around AI. Certainly. So there's a lot of AI. So I'm I'm advising them a little bit uh, on the technology side, but also on the logistical side, how to build up a marketplace that has this kind of flywheel of acquiring new customers, having uh, having more listings on the site, and therefore uh, getting uh, attractive again for more customers. And uh, I have done obviously also a little bit of an investment here. So uh, I mean, I think a lot, a lot of founders that are listening would have the the CTO of Picnic as their uh, as their angel investor. What are you What are you looking at in uh, in in startups that would uh, that would raise? So for for me, there are two things that are absolutely crucial. Uh, there's number one, there needs to be a, a kind of an uh, a business model or a business ambition, and that is uh, sufficiently tech related and on the other hand also i need to really understand what um i, I need i need to understand enough about the business itself that i can uh, contribute in a meaningful way so therefore it needs to be uh, in retail or in e-commerce uh, or in uh, uh, or for instance in crypto and blockchain etc so these these are areas that i understand relatively well and that's something where i can certainly add also from my expertise perspective on the other hand, uh, and the second uh, thing is, I need to have a very good click with the uh, founder. Right. And the thing is that I like to go uh, pre-seed, seed stage uh, in those kind of businesses, yeah. but I can only work if I can work uh, with the founder in a way that we can also pivot in something else, because this is the, the initial idea will never in the literal form uh, make it uh, no. to a late stage. So there needs to be a way that we can work together towards uh, the idea that can really scale. I'm looking, I'm looking certainly for ideas that uh, very quickly go one on the other way. So what either are becoming big successes or very uh, fail very quickly. I'm perfectly fine that somebody uh, goes uh, goes very very quickly south, but I want to see quickly one on the other uh, out uh, yeah. result. Uh, what yeah. is the worst possible outcome is those kind of and uh, sometimes called uh, lifestyle businesses mm -hmm. that go a little bit uh, uh, go on uh, that are that are not really taking off, uh, but on the other hand are making sufficiently um, revenue or business uh, that they are not dying. That is basically diverse because you're prolonging a kind of a decision that you should probably uh, do at an earlier stage where you say it, it's just not working out. No, no. Um, do you have the ambition to become, uh, you know, uh, to reach break even point with Picnic uh, in the forthcoming years or does it does it matter actually because of course when you have uh, so many uh, investments also in uh, in fulfillment 
it, it costs a lot. No, certainly, certainly, it's uh, certainly not for uh, not for free. This kind of uh, investments, and uh, we certainly have the ambition to uh, to break even, and will not take long, by the way, uh, that we uh, that we will reach that. The state where we are now is is a very simple state. Um, we are uh, currently at the situation eh, where, on the one hand, every city where we are launching becomes profitable after uh, six months, and on the other hand. We are at a stage where there is so much more demand that we can fulfill. So, and we see this, for instance, with the waiting list. So you will not be able in some areas of the country to immediately shop with picnics. So you need to wait uh, that you can shop a bit. That we simply can't wait for six months to make the entire picnic uh, business uh, profitable. So that's the reason why we launch faster than every six months uh, a new city. And that's the reason why we are simply not yet profitable. The but there will be certainly a stage where we have reached uh, enough uh, enough of the country that we are growing a little bit slower, therefore not launching so many new cities, and then uh, we are immediately becoming profitable. No, but your innovations and your experiments that that cost that that obviously is your R and D uh, expense. It, yeah. It's it's very simple. All the, these are all investments, and we are we are very careful and diligent around this. Uh, every kind of experiment, every kind of investment, uh, needs to have an ROI uh, in form of either additional revenue or uh, yeah. better operational uh, margin in the future. And if that is given, then it makes a lot of sense to make those investments now. If that is not given, we simply can't and won't do it. No, no. Well, thank you very much, Daniel. It was, uh, was really cool to hear uh, about everything uh, about Picnic and uh, also your lessons that uh, how you look at, uh, at startups. No, thanks guys for having me. Yeah, it was uh, really in order to have you. Uh, I want to uh, emphasize on that. Uh, and uh, yeah, I hope the, the interview was a little bit tough, but... Uh, <laughs> I don't know, your, it, uh, uh, your you, listeners you, should, uh, should you look <laughs> You look very relaxed, so uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, we Let's didn't succeed in that. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. No, right. thanks guys. Uh, have a good day. Dit was weer een half uur vol inspiratie over hoe hard te groeien als founder. Wil je geen aflevering missen van Skill Talks? Volg ons dan op Spotify of ga naar abitwise.nl slash podcast. Veel succes en tot de volgende aflevering.